Welcome to episode number 96 of the Inspirational Athletes Podcast here on the Always Lancaster Podcast Network. I'm your host, John Walk, sports reporter for LNP Newspaper and LancasterOnline.com in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. On this week's show is guest Jody Federhoff. Jody is an O2 Penn Manor grad. Um, she went on to lead a successful bowling career. Um, as a bowler at Shippensburg University, Larry became a player coach at Shippensburg in bowling. Um, that kind of jump-started her career into coaching. She's since uh, had a few tour stops around here. Um, let's see, Union College in Barberville, Kentucky. She was then a co- oh, that was an assistant coach stop in 2009 and 10. And then she went on to spend the next, what, five or six seasons from 2010 through 2015 as the head women's bowling coach at Adrian College in Michigan. Um, and then she had a unique opportunity, October 2015, Duquesne University in Philadelphia starts up a bowling program from scratch. Um, and yeah, Jody decided to take that leap with her career um, and leaving Adrian to come to Duquesne and pretty much build that bowling program from the ground up um, since achieved a lot of success just in the last couple seasons and we chat about that in the podcast and uh you know sometimes we go over like okay high school to college to coaching where's your coaching stops but I kind of decided to to skip over that just because mainly Jody was such an incredible um communicator just in terms of her uh, time at Duquesne so we've really hit on that what it's been like starting the program from scratch these last few years at Duquesne the challenges involved how she got recruits and how she, you know, just becomes better as a coach from year to year and a lot of intricacies in bowling that we chatted about kind of near the top that you would never think about otherwise. Um, so I think it's a really fun conversation that you guys will really enjoy. One last programming note before we move forward here. If you like what you hear, feel free to hop on to iTunes or Google Play in the podcast section and search Always Lancaster Inspirational Athletes. If you like what you hear, feel free to hit subscribe. All right, with all that out of the way, on to our conversation with Penn Manor alum and current Duquesne women's bowling coach Jody Federhoff. Where I kind of like to start, like I've been doing this recently, the last couple of months, just as far as icebreakers, just to kind of get people comfortable and, okay. and in, in the moment a little bit. Um, and this is, you're the first bowler that I've had in here, so maybe nice. this answer will be different. Your favorite <laughs> athlete growing up. Was it a professional bowler, or did you like other sports, I guess? No, I, my first love was basketball. So my favorite player is Jason Kidd. Um, so he um, actually kind of started my brother. He had all these basketball jerseys, and that was the first jersey that he kind of gave me. And so it was Jason Kidd, and so then I kind of just started following him and followed his career like the whole way so people always ask me favorite teams I'm not a favorite team person I follow my favorite players so um yeah I've, does I've that, always followed Jason him. Kidd being a point guard and a floor general does that translate to you kind of coming up through as well yeah I mean his goal was never you know he wasn't this great scorer his his goal his mentality was always to make his teammates better and make everyone around him better and so that's kind of the motto I've always had you know um, just push my teammates and right. yeah I mean I was definitely that basketball player you know I was not an offensive threat I was defense pass first point guard um, you know lived at the free throw line sometimes right. um, but yeah I always had that kind of different mentality set my teammates up but um, sometimes this leads to good stories maybe yours doesn't um, your jersey number in basketball what was it is there any significance behind it um, my my numbers you know sometimes I'm small so uh, the numbers usually, I wanted 22 always, um, and I usually couldn't get that because the smalls were usually the lower numbers. 
Um, so it used to be yeah, taking whatever number Jason Kidd was, so that was number five. Um, and then, you know, I've had a couple of numbers, but 22 <laughs> has always been my favorite number um, Okay. 10. What was your first official job? You part-time, what have you? Anything? That I was paid? Yeah. It was yeah. actually the newspaper office. Oh. Um, I was a paper carrier for my mom. Um, so <laughs> in high school, um, we had like service learning classes, I think it was, okay. at Penn Manor. And so I threw newspapers in the afternoon. All right. So. Um, that may have actually been my official first job, too, back in the yeah. day. I think my sister got a, a route in our neighborhood or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't even tell. I'll talk to your mom afterwards. I don't want to bore people <laughs> here. Um, outside of bowling and coaching now, what do you do as a hobby or, like, your creative fulfillment? What is just to kind of keep you interested? Um, I love sports. I'm a sports junkie. Um, so I watch, you know, my thing that I love to watch in the summertime, my mom gets mad at me because she kind of has to plan things around it. Um, I'm obsessed with the Women's College World Series oh, in nice. softball. So um, I don't even remember when it started, but I just remember watching Alabama softball and um, just kind of really enjoyed the program. Their coach is amazing. Um, so I try to steal a lot of things that he incorporates with his team um, because he's just a phenomenal coach. Um, so definitely sports, and then I love reading. Um, I read books a lot. What are you reading right now? Um, It's actually uh, the same, the guy that wrote The Da Vinci Code. It's his new one called The Origin. So I just started that. Um, They had it like it was on sale on Amazon for like $2.99. So you mix it up. I was expecting like I'm reading uh, 10 Things to Be a Better Coach or something like that. I do. (laughs) I do. Those are actually my go-to on the plane. Um, I just read, um, I think it can't remember the guy's name um but the book called relentless and um it was the trainer that worked with like kobe bryant and all Mm. these famous athletes and just kind of he talked about those athletes and what separates them from you know other athletes and what takes them to that next level and it's like you know kobe was just constantly in the gym working and you know he's arguably one of the best basketball players of all time and that's what makes him so great mm. because he's never satisfied he was always working and you know the same thing with lebron and and michael jordan and just you know that work ethic that separates them i was going to ask you this a little bit later on but since we're kind of talking about it now i might as well kind of stay on topic as far as like okay how have you become a better coach from year to year because oftentimes like you've achieved so much success no matter where you've been and maybe sometimes that can be okay I finally reached the pinnacle maybe what I'm doing is working but so often in this job so many coaches have told me you can't become stagnant because once you become stagnant that's when you fall behind so obviously it sounds like you've kind of been doing things just to kind of stay up on your game a little bit yeah I mean I think the thing about coaching is every team is different you know every year to year you know um, we didn't graduate anybody this year and we'll bring in two freshmen Um, So people think it's the same team. You can do the same things, but you can't because last year, you know, we fell short at sectionals. Mm -hmm. You know, we were 79 pins, so we still didn't get it done. And I think, you know, if you keep doing the same things, you're just going to have the same results. So, you know, we have to, you know, sit there and be like, okay, well, why do we fall short this time? You know, where did we, where do we need to work on? And I think a lot of it is like mental game, you know, when you have the lead and then it's slowly you know, you're losing it and they start to freak out a little bit and or they think that they have to have a big game and we didn't need to have a big game. We just needed to not shoot the two 150s, the first of the last four. And we just needed to maintain that 190 average. We ended up missing it by 79 pins 
And so those two 150s, that's 40 and 40, it's 80 pins. Mm -hmm. So we just hit our average and we would have been going to nationals. So what does that look like then coming into this year? Are you doing certain things to make your bowlers mentally tough? Yeah, I mean, I think you just have that kind of inner competition in practice and you try to, Mm. you know, set them up where they can compete against another or you have like kind of a fictitious opponent and you set these goals that you want to achieve. Um, But sometimes, you know, we just get a pattern and we just play around with it. Um, But it's just kind of confidence. It sounds like uh, repetition. Try to repeat what happens on a match day as opposed to taking that into practice. So that way you do it often enough in practice when you get Mm -hmm. to a match with an opponent um, or meet with an opponent. It's common. It's just like back of your hand. Yeah, like I mean, you just the... try to tell them it's the same thing. You know, right. it's it's what we're doing in practice. This is, you know, a similar pattern. We know what we're doing. We know what we're capable of doing. And just try to keep them in that mindset that you know you guys can compete and just, you know, bowl freely. Um, that's the biggest thing. Um, and the kind of the particulars, since we're, I'll stay on topic here, I'm curious as far as, like, how you go about, let's say, taking an individual bowler from like freshman through senior year. How do you go about specifically improving them? Is a lot mechanical? Because I was just trying to like break it down as far as like, okay, you, you get the bowling ball, you're probably talking about your approach, how many steps you're taking, where you're placing your foot when you throw the ball, how are you holding it when you're approaching, where do, where's your release point? Like, are you guys actually working on that minute well, DLTL stuff? I mean, when they're at this level, they have their physical games are very good so there's some tweaking that goes on um but i don't get too much into their physical game because we don't have that much time to break it down i mean we we have four hours to work with them prior to october 1st and then come october 1st we have a tournament the second week so (laughs) it's really hard for us to do anything changing their mechanics um so it's just preparing them and just working on okay we bowl on like short medium long what are their weaknesses and so it's about making you know a lot of girls struggle on long patterns and then some struggle on short usually they have medium okay Um, so it's just about making their weaknesses into their strengths and so that's going to be different with each bowler which is Mm -hmm. it makes my job harder because what I tell one girl isn't always going to work for her teammate and so you definitely have to tailor each practice session to each kid, but you only have so much time. And probably it's like any sport where athletes respond differently. Like you might be able to be like, hey, you're doing this wrong, you need to do this better, and an athlete will respond, whereas another athlete might crumble. So you take that athlete, you mm-hmm. might crumble and say, hey, you're doing a really nice job. Maybe you could yeah. try that. Like is it, I guess, kind of getting a feel for how each player responds? Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to know your players, and they have to know and trust you as well. And, um, you know, that's what a lot of the beginning of the season is, just getting to know them and what can you say to this person, what mm-hmm. can't you say. Um, Because, yeah, they all react totally different. Um, You can't blanket respond to any of your team. You mentioned a bit ago, um, for those non-bowling aficionados, can you explain to us what short, medium, and long, what you mean by that? (laughs) Yeah, um, I think the biggest kind of misconception about bowling is people think that what college bowling is is they could just go, you know, out to leisure lanes and pick up a bowling ball and they think that's what we do and that's not what we do we bowl on all sport patterns 
So sport patterns are three to one ratio um, with how the oil is distributed. So basically when you think of, you know, the hardest tournament, the U.S. Open, which is pretty much every sport, um, the U.S. Open is like the most prestigious event. And our U.S. Open patterns tend to be like one to one. So they're very flat across the lane and they're, they're hard. Um, so short, medium, and long, that's just the distance of the length of the oil that's applied on the lane. Okay. So a short is uh, like 36 feet and shorter. Um, then your medium is about 36 to 42 um, feet in length. And then your heavy, long oil patterns are 43 plus feet. So to be clear, maybe I'm completely wrong in this. My apologies if I sound ignorant. Like, <laughs> let's say a short... Maybe the, like the first third of the lane has oil on it. And the yeah, it's the front part of the lane. So right. it's and the from last, the front lane. And like the last two thirds, let's say, of yeah, the lane they, doesn't have any oil, oil on yeah. it. So it's yeah. just So the ball is going to hook a lot. Wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I guess with that being said, you kind of just hit on it. The ball is going to like, there's probably different ways you need to yeah, I mean, you can change on... different hand positions. The biggest thing is the equipment in our game. Um, again, you know, when you go to a bowling alley, the balls out on the rack, those are bowling balls we use at, to shoot spares at. They're designed to go straight. So usually the biggest question I get from non-bowlers is, how, how do I get the ball to hook? And I tell them, well, you have to go to your local pro shop and you have to buy a ball that's going to hook. Mm. Um, so we, right. we have different bowling balls for short patterns, for medium, for long, um, and you can adjust the bowling ball surface to you know take the hook out of it or um, certain things that when they hit the part of the lane with there's not oil it's not going to respond so you want a smooth arcing ball what do you mean by um, it's not going to respond like it's just going to yeah it's it's going to have a smoother reaction where um, it's it's going to go down the lane further you can do different things with drillings um, hand mm -hmm. positions you usually take the hand out of it so you'll throw more of a straight ball at it um, and there's just so many different things I wanted things to ask you, you that do. too um, Maybe it's different for every bowler as far as, like, does it matter if – maybe it's just a preference as far as the actual bowling ball, if there's three whole fingers mm -hmm. versus four or five whole fingers. Like, do you have a preference, or does it just depend on Yeah, the I mean, your typical um, competitive bowler, they're going to have just three-finger holes. Um, now, kind of a newer thing, um, two-handed bowling. So some of them don't use their fingers at all. Some use oh, just the two right. fingers. Yeah. Um, so there's different things. Um, USBC that regulates our sport um, has kind of changed some of the rulings that you can only have a certain amount of holes in the bowling ball. Um, they've taken away balance holes and it's caused a lot of controversy. But me, as I'm kind of an old school bowler, like whatever you give me, I'm going to figure it out, you know. Um, so, but technology has really advanced in our sport. I guess and that's true. It's like any sport, you're trying to find an edge. Yeah, so people, yeah. yeah. I mean, these bowlers just keep getting better. So they find, you know, and, and our ball manufacturers keep many, making better equipment. So right. um, they break down these oil patterns and they're supposed to be hard. But I mean, these professional bowlers, the more times they see the pattern, they make it look like a house shot. I mean, <laughs> they, they get so good and they're shooting, you know, 300s and, Right. I, you know, it's just constantly one catching up with the other to try to keep our sport competitive and, you know, but. You've done a great job explaining a lot of that, and I thank <laughs> you for that. And I was going to kind of go back over, like, okay, let's start at high school and kind of come up through, and it's kind of the way that I do things here. But, mm -hmm. like, you've done an awesome job, and I kind of want to – I'm going to skip over all that and go straight to uh, to Duquesne because you got there, what, 2015? I yeah, I was hired in October of 2015, um, and we didn't have a team, so I was given the time to recruit and um, 
buy everything for the program. And, um, you know, it was definitely a challenge at the start because being, I was still coaching at my other school in mm -hmm. September. And so I was moving from Michigan back to Pennsylvania, trying to find a house. Um, I actually lived in a hotel for about three and a half weeks. Wow. Um, so that was a struggle. And going out recruiting and just trying to build the program, um, as you probably know, November is the early signing period. Now, NCAA just changed it that we're going to have one signing period starting November until the rest of the year. Um, but I had basically missed out on that, get the early signing mm. period. So... Um, it, it was definitely a challenge, but I basically, for that first year, I recruited for the first two years, and I wanted to see who were the best bowlers out there and build my team that way. So the first year, we only had six kids, and, you know, we went with that because I knew this freshman year's class that just, you know, mm -hmm. they're going to be sophomores. They were so good, and I wanted to make sure I had money to build for the future and not hmm. spend everything all up front, and then be locked in with those yeah. those kids. So first off, I want to back up a little bit. Um, Adrian College in Michigan, mm -hmm. for those who might be unfamiliar as opposed to like Duquesne, like are, is that, I know it's not, you guys don't have like NCAA Division One, Two, Three. Well, they were or, Division or Three. Okay. Yeah, so, but we competed as club because there wasn't very many NCAA schools out oh, there. Oh, that's why. Um, right. So yeah, we made the decision to compete as a club team because there was tournaments really close I, was, I had trouble finding it so i was like oh maybe they weren't on. yeah like yeah we okay. were we were technically the the whole school was a division three um so we didn't give any scholarships <laughs> out um so from going to having no athletic scholarships to suddenly being division one and having mm. athletic scholarships that definitely was a was a huge huge difference for me and i wanted to ask you too then leaving adrian to come to duquesne um I guess, yeah, it's closer to your hometown, obviously, in your home state, but it's a big task for you in that you're starting a program from scratch, and I'm kind yeah. of wondering, like, that thought process, take me through that decision to take that leap in your career. Yeah, I mean, I think anybody that knows me knows I'm always up for a challenge, and, um, you know, it was, it was kind of bad timing when Duquesne started the program because I just bought a condo in Michigan. <laughs> So I had just finally kind of accepted, you know, we'd, we'd just gone to nationals in year four, and, you know, I started to call Michigan my home mm -hmm. and bought a condo, and, you know, we added a men's program. So that fifth year, I started a brand-new men's program. So I had just gone through this process, and, um, you know, it was very hard. And, I mean, even coming back from the interview, I was like, I don't know if I want to start over again. And then I was like, no, like, this is, you can't pass up an opportunity to do this. So, yeah, I mean, I was up for the challenge. I knew it was going to be difficult, but I had all the support that I had never had before in terms of, you know, a good budget yeah, and athletic right. scholarships. And Adrian was a great college, don't get me wrong, but, like, Duquesne academically is so strong. And I knew on the NCAA Division One women's side, you know, we ranked top five amongst all, you know, NCAA programs that sponsor women's bowling. So academically, you know, these young girls, they want to get a really good education as well as have a great athletic experience. So I knew that the recruiting was going to be a little bit easier because I had all these things that I'd never had before when at Adrian, you know, we had success without those things. So I was like, well, if I have all these things, 
I can be even more successful. Mm -hmm. So yes, it was challenging at first, but the end game was going to be so much bigger. And to be clear, the 2015-16 school year at Duquesne, you guys didn't have a season. You used that whole school year to build from the ground yes. up, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you kind of touched on it. Yeah, recruiting. Was there any fundraising involved in that side of things too, as a coach? No, okay. we. Um, I've been very lucky that wow. um, we haven't had to do that. I mean, we're going to probably start doing things. We've just been so busy, you know, getting the program up and running and, and recruiting and just building, you know, this first year. So recruiting-wise, that first year, what's the sales pitch as far as, like, getting I, – I guess you kind of oh, just hit on it. It's a great academic school. And you can come yeah, I mean, but. you definitely have to get kids that want to take the chance on you. And, I mean – you know, I had success. That the biggest selling point was that I had success at a D3 with no scholarships to be had. And we went to nationals in year four. So they knew, I mean, you, you pretty much had to be a good coach mm -hmm. to be able to do that. Um, but Michigan has a lot of great bowlers that they kind of fell through the cracks. So I was able to get a lot of those kids and, you know, really get them to buy in and, and believe that they could go to nationals. And so having that in my background, you know, bowling, it's a very small community, so you develop a reputation very quickly. And kids can kind of tell if you're serious or not. So, mm -hmm. you know, that first year, it was finding kids that believed in me and believed in the vision that I had for the program. You know, I was like, we're going to be mm -hmm. competing for conference championships. We're going to go to nationals. And, you know, I was like, just trust me, believe that we're going to do this. And they really bought in, and then, you know, right. we had a great season the first year for a first-year program. And then this past year, we had, you know, we were ranked in all but one poll. And so to make that quick transition, you know, even better recruits are being attracted to the program. And for those who might be unfamiliar, because um, I, you know, I cover the main, the main sports, but bowling, I'm not too familiar with it as far as the recruiting side of things. Do you kind of go about, <clears throat> even now when you're looking for your next bowlers, your season runs pretty much the same season as the high school season. Mm -hmm. So is that your main recruiting time? Is there like an AAU-like bowling thing in the spring or something that you track? Yeah, the biggest down? the biggest tournament that most coaches recruit at um, was a couple weeks ago down in Dallas. So it's Junior Gold, which is um, basically a tryout for junior to make Junior Team USA. Um, so it's every year around the same time, like the second week in July. Um, it's gotten bigger every year. I bowled in it as a junior. Um, and it's so it's, it's two weeks. There was over 4,000 bowlers out there. So um, and then the bowling manufacturers, they do this like kind of pre-coaching recruiting seminar before this event. Um, Turbo Grips, they run Collegiate Expo. And so they invite coaches and they invite the pros and they work with these kids on the lanes and they teach them. Um, they bring in uh, Dr. Dean, who's, um, he's basically works on the mental side of bowling. Hmm. And um, so he works with these kids and we get to see them. And then after the event is over, we set up a table and we can meet with, with the recruits and everything. So that's kind of our biggest thing. Um, and then I just got back from Detroit. They had the World Youth Championships, so they had all these different countries, and they were competing and whatnot. So um, those are the main things. And then obviously the high school championships, um, PJBTs, which I grew up bowling in. Um, so I try to get to those when we don't have tournaments. Um, and tournament directors will reach out to me and say they have, 
you know, they're looking to bring in college coaches to attend these events to try to get more kids to bowl the events. Um, but yeah, it's PJBTs are a lot of things that I, I try to go to because they put out sports shots and we can see these kids. On. You just mentioned one of the tournaments that you came from, bowlers mm -hmm. from around the world. Is bowling bigger on the world state like in other countries like is it like a soccer yeah. or a football or basketball that was probably the coolest thing about this was the first time i ever went to the world youth championships um and the one team um the swedish team i felt like i was at a european soccer match because there was cheering and every time they struck the whole like they had tons of parents that flew out and they it was like this song that i don't know what they were saying because I don't know that language, but um, it was just really cool, the atmosphere. Um, the English team was very loud, um, and it was just cool to see that because the women's side of college bowling is very loud. There's cheering, but it's usually the players and the coaches down in the settee area. The parents don't get as involved. You know, there's a little bit of cheering and whatnot, but, like, yeah, it was a song, dance kind of thing, and it was it was really cool atmosphere. When And since we're kind of on that topic, uh, you've been coaching now bowling collegiately for, gosh, a decade plus. Um, have you seen – is bowling growing on the college level or are more schools at, like a Duquesne, I guess? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's – bowling definitely has a long way to go mm -hmm. before it's, you know, seen as the other sports. Um, but, yeah, seen from the programs that offered – you know, I bowled club at Shippensburg, so – I didn't really have that many programs or programs were just starting. So you didn't really know what you were getting into if you went there. Um, and now it's just grown so much, um, you know, where you wow. have really good academic institutions sponsoring the sport. Awesome. Um, so it's just amazing to see the growth and all these opportunities that these, these young girls have. And even guys on the NAIA side, um, you know, NAIA is not looked you know, it's not seen as higher, but NCAA is probably never going to sponsor men's bowling. So the guys only have the NAIA route or the club route, um, and that side has gotten really big. So there's certain programs that have gotten really mm -hmm. big in a short amount of time. You went, and it's, I don't know, saying went pro is the proper term, but you were on the pro side of things for a few seasons I, after college. I bowled. Um, the, the pro tour actually folded um, prior to – me graduating college so I grew up with it and then they stopped it now they brought it back um, but I have not bowled in one of the stops yet mm. um, I was trying to bowl the one in Mechanicsburg um, I've just had a lot of injuries that I've been dealing with and I'm I'm recruiting on my you know when we're not in season I didn't so know if that's like to. I brought that up like I didn't know if that's a thing where you can kind of go and make a living as a pro bowler just strictly bowling if that's something it's if you can only be like in the top five, ten bowlers in the world to actually make that feasible. Or? Yeah, I mean, most of the pro bowlers, most if not all, have real jobs. Oh, um, okay. A lot of them are college coaches. Um, so the how the pro tour is set up on the women's side, it's over the summer. So a lot of the coaches, you know, it's, it's on the weekends too. So they're able, you know, if these pros have other jobs that they give them off from Thursday to mm -hmm. Sunday. Um, so... Yeah, it's definitely something I want to keep doing. I say I'm, like, semi-retired. <laughs> um, I did, you know, when I graduated, I bowled um, Queens. Um, that was, like, Queens and the U.S. Open were the only two tournaments that we could bowl. 
Um, and so I bowled Queens twice. Um, I did, I did okay the one time, the other time I did not do so well. You know, the, the year that I just graduated college and was, came off the college season, obviously was a lot better because you're in it, but Mm -hmm. then you, you get a job and it's hard to get enough time on the lanes that you need to have because these bowlers are so good. Um, so it's, it's definitely a lot different. And one of my bowlers, um, she bowled the tour stop in Mechanicsburg and they do 16 games of qualifying in one day and she's constantly on the lanes bowling and she was just like game 13 14 she was like i'm i'm tired and it's just so mentally draining it's not necessarily the physical side of it it's just the mental side mm-hmm. of it um you know and i played so many other sports growing up and bowling is so much more mentally taxing than it is physically i because mean you your body yeah you're yeah, you're trying Realms. to figure out what ball works. Yeah. And, I mean, you can throw a great shot and not strike, and you're, like, trying to find because you have to strike against these great bowlers. I mean, spare shooting, you, you have to make your spares. But mm. some of them, you know, you have to strike. And so you have to be, like, am I throwing the right ball? Am I playing the right line? Am I getting the right angle? Um, and sometimes you over-adjust, mm. and you actually should have just took your 10-pin and, and made your 10-pin. So there, there's so much that goes on. Um, throughout the 16 games, and like I said, I mean, these it's, women are so yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, I, I know it's such a mental game in pretty much any sport, but really, you're waiting a lot of the time mm-hmm. there. I mean, you go up bowl once, twice, um, and then you sit down for a long time and have to watch your opponent and keep yeah. track of the scores. And yeah, and you can't see the start oil. Start in your head. You know, you can't. You can, the the men's tour they had the blue oil that you can kind of see the pattern and whatnot, but people were throwing different balls and lane to lane. Oh, um, right. Each lane is different. The topography of the lane. Um, so it's hard to get a kind of get in a rhythm, so to speak, mm-hmm. of okay, I'm gonna go up there and bowl a couple times, and then I gotta yeah. sit down. It's like you can't get in a nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's definitely hard because yeah. you're not by yourself, and you know somebody could be playing mm-hmm. a different line, and that could mess up your line. So you constantly have to be watching, even when you're not bowling you're watching your opponents play the pattern because you're looking for clues, you know, and sometimes you throw a great shot and you hit your mark and you think you're throwing the right ball and then your ball just starts checking up and you leave a split and, you know. I wanted to ask you too, uh, just to kind of get back on it, when you get to Duquesne after that first year recruiting, does your 16-17 season, is that all freshmen? Freshmen, sophomore, men? Um, We had one girl that was already on campus um, so she was a junior at the time, but she had no college bowling experience and she hadn't bowled since high school. That was Cassidy. Wow. Um, so yeah, we had, uh, five freshmen and, and then Cassidy, that was a junior. Um, but yeah, so they had no experience whatsoever outside of high school and it was just bringing them all together and everything was brand new to them. Um, but we didn't make any excuses being young. That's what we signed up for. We knew it was going to be a bumpy path. And, you know, we we did pretty well for the first yeah. year in Six Kids. We won um, a tournament our first year. Yeah, I had that in front of me here. Uh, Coach Federhoff assembled a roster that won a tournament title, defeated 12 ranked teams, and placed a bowler in the Intercollegiate Singles Championship in 16-17. And then the second year, I guess this past season, 17-18, um, the bowling program finished ranked number 19 in the National 10-Pin Coaches Association Top 25. So is it fair to say, like, I guess, do you guys coming into the 18-19 season, 
all your bowlers are like third-year bowlers, essentially? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's the bulk of the team is sophomores and, and juniors. Um, you know, Cassidy graduated, but she'll be back. Um, she's in our physician assistant grad program, mm -hmm. so um, she's very academically strong. And she said, you know, I still want to bowl. And we're like, well, we still want to have you. So, <laughs> um, you know, she's she was kind of that leader that, that first year with all the freshmen of mm – -hmm you know, showing them around campus and, and stuff like that. And, you know, now that they've all been around, I mean, we have two freshmen coming in and they've met the girls, they've met the team. Um, the one bold junior gold, so she got to know the team a little bit better. So I think they're a little more comfortable coming in and we have those upperclassmen to kind of show them, all right, this is how the program is. This is what our culture's like. This is, you know, tournament day. And we have more people that are familiar than new, uh, which has never been the case on our team. Mm -hmm. So um, this year, you know, I think it's kind of go time for us. Mm -hmm. um, and they all kind of know what we've achieved and what we're trying to achieve. And so I think it's, you know, going to be a really good year. When you say it's go time, what are you trying to achieve? Like, is it contending for a national top 10 or top five? Um, I think, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, our, we're in a conference that has an automatic bid for nationals. Mm -hmm. And um, the first year we didn't make the conference championship. And then last year we were the five seed. Mm -hmm. um, and we bowled phenomenal in the first round against St. Francis. And we both, like, were averaging over 200s, which is well above our season average. And they made two splits and advanced. And then – we had to face FDU, which has always been, you know, a top 10 program, and they were the defending conference champs, and we knocked them out. Um, so that was kind of a huge milestone for us. So we have the confidence that we can beat anybody in our conference, mm -hmm. and we know that if it's a pattern that we like, you know, anybody can beat anybody on any given day. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of our motto that, you know, yeah, it, it is go time because they have what it takes to win. And, um, you know, I think everything goes right. And, yeah, I mean, we could win that automatic bid to nationals. So um, our conference graduated a lot of really good bowlers. So um, it's, it's kind of like this year, next year, you know, I think they definitely have the potential to do it. It sounds like so much of this conversation then is mental, like as far as what you guys are focusing. It's like now they have the confidence, but now they're probably also going to have that target on their back and things every – match yeah. now is going to be like pressurized because you have those big goals in mind and well, I think too I mean it's you know they've they've won three tournaments and so it's you know they have that belief that they can get it done and they've beat ranked opponents so we actually perform better when we're competing against higher ranked opponents oh, wow. um they it, it sounds weird but they get they up get, for big matches yeah, yeah they get they get really excited the first year we we're the same way, but we were losing to people that we needed to beat. So that second year, our goal was, okay, we need to beat some of these top guys, and then we have to take care of business against the other opponents. So there was a team that we, for whatever reason, they had our number the first year. And so that was one of our goals. Like, we got to beat this team, like, every time. And we did beat them every time we faced them. So that was really big for us. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of times you get caught up in – 
you want to beat these big teams, but you still got to take care of business and you got to beat the, the lower ranked teams, the mid ranked teams, the teams you're supposed to beat, you have to beat. Um, because you're not going to be taken seriously as a program if you, you know, only beat certain people some of the time. You know, the top programs are taking care of business all the time. Last few questions for you here, and you've been awesome so far. Thank you for giving me so much of your time. During, uh, technically, your, your gig is full-time. Mm -hmm. So, like, during the season, let's say, what does your typical Monday through Friday look like? What, just to kind of give people what a, a full-time bowling coach looks like. Yeah. Um, so, Monday, if we don't have a tournament, Monday we'll have practice. Um, so usually Monday kind of is our day off. Um, I don't know our workout schedules, but the girls work out twice a week. Um, and then we'll have practices depending on if we have a tournament that week. So if we have a tournament that Thursday, we'll travel on Thursday. Um, so we'll probably practice Tuesday and Wednesday. Some of the tournaments that we go to, we'll get a practice session Thursday that we'll be able to go to the house that we're bowling in and bowl in the pattern and get some familiarity. Um, it also depends on flights and things like that, their class schedules. Um, but yeah, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays typically are practices, so we'll go down to the lanes for about two hours. Um, if we had a tournament that following weekend, that Monday, I'm in the office doing paperwork and getting their stats done from the weekend, so it's turning in stuff for the NCAA, mm. um, trying to recover um, <laughs> from the weekend because, like it's I travel. said, yeah, we, we travel <clears throat> Thursdays, usually Thursday afternoons. Um, and then we bowl Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So it, it's a lot. Um, so yeah, Monday through Wednesday are typically practices. And then Fridays we bowl um, five Baker games. It's five Baker game matches. So you bowl a different opponent for each one of those matches and you get mm -hmm. a win-loss record. Um, and then Saturday it's team games. So each of your five bowlers will bowl an individual game. Um, and then you have like a team total against another team so that's another five games and then sunday we call it championship sunday um so we always wear our blue uniforms on sundays because for whatever reason we always bowl better in blue um <laughs> and so that is best four out of seven baker format so you bowl three matches and you're usually seated from the first two days and so um it's it's a bracket it's kind of like a tiered so if you're in the top four you can, if you're the fourth place, you can go as high as first. You can drop a little bit, but it kind of protects you in the seating that you can go up so high and you can only go drop down so low. Um, so that qualifying is all to get in a good position in the bracket. And my team averages pretty significantly higher on Sunday. And I don't know what it is about that best four out of seven. You know, in practices when I'm always like, what do you guys want to do today? You know, if it's a certain format or whatever or competition they always want to do best four out of seven um it sounds like they like the big pressure stage like they, they do. rise up to the occasion my yeah. team is competitive with everything <laughs> like ping pong racquetball i mean hey you had mentioned not to cut you off your your girls work out twice a week mm -hmm. and i want to bring that up because so many times maybe there's perception of bowlers like not being athletes your yeah. girls are athletes what is exercising or them working out like what does that look like for a bowler what are they doing to improve their craft to translate yeah, um, into the lanes? we have a strength and conditioning coach chris he's great that he works with the girls all the time so we have a set person that you know and i'm not at the expert he's the expert so he you know his dad bowled and he bowled a little bit so he knows 
um, what muscles need to be worked on and what are the key areas that he needs to strengthen and things like that. Um, so I pretty much put a lot of trust in him and he's, he's great. The girls love him. Um, you know, and he always kind of nags some of the other athletes that like the bowling team is, is lifted more weights than you guys and you guys <laughs> got to step it up. And I mean, the reality awesome. is like when we travel, they have at least six bowling balls that each bag is 50 pounds. So they're traveling around with a hundred pounds and, you know, going through the airports and lifting in and out of the bus. And so they're carrying a lot of weight and it's, it's a long weekend. So their endurance has to be really good. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of them were not used to that because high school programs, they don't always work out. Mm-hmm. And nutrition is a big thing because we're bowling from eight o'clock in the morning till sometimes five o'clock at mm-hmm. night. And you don't have breaks. There's no lunch break other than sectionals where you have a lunch break. So you got to be fueling yourself. Yeah, you got to be fueling snacks, um, a lot of like fruit and nut mixes, things like that, Um, making sure you're hydrated because it's it's a long day. Um, So, yeah, it's definitely kind of an eye-opening experience for a lot of these athletes making that transition. Last thing for you, um, and maybe this is just common sense, you don't really think about it, but anybody listening to this can kind of get a sense of your passion for bowling, your passion for coaching. I'm wondering, like, either where does that passion come from, or what is it about bowling that you like so much, or what is it about coaching that has kept you with it now for 10 plus years? I mean, I've been bowling since I was three years old, and I played other sports. I was just much better at bowling um and you know throughout my growing up process I didn't always know what I wanted to do or I thought I knew what I wanted to do and bowling's just always been in my life it's always been that thing that when I have a bad day or something else bowling was always that go-to thing that made me feel much better at my about myself because I was really good at it so if I had a bad day and then I went bowling or I won a tournament you know everything was good in the world um, the other side of that, when you have a bad day bowling, it, it, I'm miserable to be around for the next couple of days until I go bowling again and can kind of redeem myself. Um, but you know, I'm just, I love the sport. Um, and it's, it's given me so many great opportunities, you know, and I never thought that I would, you know, have a career in this. Um, I, you know, like I said, the tour folded when I was in college. And so it's just, it's just awesome to get to be able to give, you know, these young athletes the experience that I didn't have and to see the growth of the sport. Mm -hmm. And us coaches always complain about how far the sport needs to go, but seeing how far it's gone in such a short amount of time, it gives me hope that, you know, the sport is going to continue to grow and these kids, more kids are going to have opportunities, you know, like that I didn't have. So it's, it's just a really cool thing to see, Um, you know, Penn Manor, didn't have a high school program when I was there, um, you know, and now then contending all the time. Yeah, they've yeah. won the last three boys state titles. So it's awesome. You know, I moved back and they won their first championship and I got to watch it. And it was very bittersweet for me because I didn't get to do that. Mm-hmm. But it's awesome that these guys, you know, our area has such great coaching that they are able to experience that mm-hmm. that I didn't get to. So it, it's awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, if you guys enjoyed listening to today's podcast, and you'll probably enjoy listening to the previous 96 episodes, so feel free to go back and listen to those in the archives. Just last week, we chatted with New Lancaster Bible College men's basketball coach Andrew Wingreen. He's prepping for the upcoming 2018-19 season. Um, As we record this in the second week of August, I'm still kind of trying to line up the next couple podcasts, but I think it's safe to say it'll probably be along the lines of 
field hockey, um, and I might have to stop out at Spooky Nook to make it happen. So I'll let you guys make the connection there as to who might be on the show. Anyway, uh, with that being said, I'm always looking for any suggestions for future guests on the show. So if you listen to this and think, hey, I know this person, they'd be great, throw me an email, jwalk at lnpnews.com, or contact me on the Twitter at jwalklnp. Uh, Coach Federhoff, anywhere folks can follow Duquesne Bowling or kind of your journey moving forward? Yeah, I mean, our athletic page at Duquesne Athletics is uh, goduquesne.com. Um, we just unveiled a new website, so it's pretty oh, wow. cool. Um, right. And there's a lot of great things happening at Duquesne, so look forward to that. Um, awesome. And then all the social media, um, they're all on the Duquesne Athletic page. Cool. Uh, before we wrap up here, I just want to give a shout-out to a few of my colleagues. Claudia Esmond-Shade, she handles all the posting duties to get this thing online. By the way, Claudia just celebrated um, her 33rd year working here for the company, so congrats to Claudia. I also want to say thanks to Tyler Huber and Irene Snyder. They are the engineer slash producer of this podcast. By the way, um, congratulations to Irene. As we record this, um, by the time you guys hear this, she will have already begun the next chapter of her career, having left us to work for a TV station outside of the county as an on-camera TV news reporter. So good luck to Irene. Just want to give her a shout-out. She's done awesome work behind the scenes to make this podcast possible. So thanks to them. Thanks to you guys for listening. Coach, uh, thanks for sharing your story. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.